Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. Our wonderful former co-host, Gina Pirooak, has surprised us today. Great morning, Gina. Good morning, Brother Greg. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, the honor is all ours. I have a feeling this is going to be a show a bit of surprises today. So we're really looking forward to it. The purpose of our show, thank God, for Monday is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make in a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, as we are now in the month of March, Women's History Month. And as such, we are honored today to not only have one, but two very, very special guests. Their names are Barbara Mitchell and Cornelia Gamble. Barbara and Cornelia are the co-authors of the Big Book of HR, the 10th anniversary edition. Barbara and Cornelia are no strangers to thank God for Monday as they have graced our airwaves many times before. Great morning and welcome back, Barbara and Cornelia. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you back again, certainly. Kindly share with the listeners, Gina and I, what cities and states you are speaking from this morning. Why don't we start with you, Cornelia? Good morning. And I am coming to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is Barbara, and I am coming to you from vacation in Savannah, Georgia. Normally, I'm in Washington, D.C. You've just made Gina and the listeners, both of you, very, very jealous. Sounds nice <laughs> and warm where both of you are, certainly, no doubt about that. Sadly, we've only got 30 minutes today. We could spend hours talking about both of you, your great lives and experiences, this incredible book of yours. So, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool, if that's okay. Gene and I and our listeners are very curious if you feel there are any places where women's history might intersect with human resources, and if there are really any women who help shape the human resources profession. Help us out here, please. You know, th that's a really interesting question. And, and as I started to think about it before we came on the air, there's a number of women that do come to mind. And I think I'd have to start with the late Chief Justice, uh, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She probably should have been Chief Justice. But she, you know, she was um, an advocate of women's rights and really advocated for the passage of, of the Civil Rights Act and particularly Title VII. And that was a landmark piece of legislation for the HR profession because it really helped to shape the future of the profession and kind of move, move the profession from being you know, more of a tactical, having a tactical role and, and being much more strategic in organizations. But even going back before her, another advocate 
was Mother Jones, who was uh, a member of the, or she was actually a founder of the United Mine Workers, and she was an advocate for the American Labor Union. And, you know, we, we have a passage about her in the big book of HR as we kick off that section on, on, on unionization and, and labor relations. I think more frequently, we'd have to look to our current vice president, Kamala Harris, uh, when not only because she made, you know, she, she made history as being the first woman vice president, the first person of color to be vice president. But when you look at her own personal diversity, uh, you know, the fact that she had two immigrant parents, the fact that she had, you know, her, her even the religions that were practiced in her home were representative of both of the parents' backgrounds. So that there's a lot of a lot of places where you can't just look at her and say, "Oh, this is great, a woman of color." There's a lot of other factors to her diversity, and, and we we kind of highlight that a little bit. More recently, we also have to look at the Silence Breakers, the women who launched the Me Too movement and really brought sexual harassment once again to the forefront, but, but put some, some more emphasis on, on it as a problem and things that we have to look at. And we also have some other un, unsung heroes that we touch on in the book. Uh, the first group being the young women that perished in the Triangle Shirtwaist uh, company fire back in 1911. Right. And the role that they, they played in you know, bringing forward what unsafe workplaces were like. And then we also came across a, a passage about a young woman who during one of FDR's campaigns passed him a note talking about the abysmal conditions in the sewing factory where she worked, you know, poor wages, overtime, and all of that, not that those were the only things, but it certainly caught his attention. And as a result, we have the Fair Labor Standards Act today, which was passed back in the 1930s. So yeah, I think there were a lot of women that really did help to shape the profession. Thank you so much, Cornelia, for tying that together for us and helping to bring that history, that really rich history, um, into the importance that it has today in our everyday lives and in HR today. Now, you mentioned uh, the big book of HR, and I can't wait to talk about it. Um, but first, going back to 2011, 2012, why did you both write the original edition of this book? Well, I would tell you that we, we had this great idea and we went and sold it to someone, but it happened the opposite direction. The publisher uh, came to me. I had done another book for the publisher before. And they asked for a book. I don't know if you remember the uh, the Dummy series back at the beginning of of the uh, the, the last last decade. Mm -hmm. They wanted a book to compete with HR for Dummies. <laughs> so that's where the genesis of this book came from. We of course did not want to touch the idea of anything for dummies because we consider our readers to be brilliant people, uh, of course, who picked up our book. But that's where it came from. I was going to do this book on my own because I was just really wanted to do a book on my own uh, until the I found out I only had uh, a very short time to write it. And it's a big book, hence its name. And so I went to my friend Cornelia, my colleague. We have different uh, skill sets, even though we think 
we, we often talk about how we share a brain that we think so much like, but we have different expertise. And so uh, I asked her if she'd be interested and she thought about it and said yes. And we made it happen and we've done now two updates. We did one five years in uh, 2017 and now our 10th anniversary uh, edition. So that's where it all came from. Wow. What a great, great story, certainly. And it's super how you saw that you needed someone to help you. And there it was, uh, Cornelia was there. That is just so beautiful. Now, if we can fast forward to this edition, please. Uh, certainly, I know I'm, I'm trying to write a book and it's taking much longer than I ever thought. When did you start writing this 10th anniversary edition? And what did you find was the greatest challenge you had in writing it? Well, that, that was really interesting. You know, we, Barbara and I had talked a little bit about, oh, you know, maybe it's time for an update. And then once again, the publisher came to us and said, you know, the book has done really well. It's 10 years old. We think it's time to write another one. And this was like two years ago. Um, and we said, okay, fine. And, you know, we started to get into the process of negotiating a contract and the ink was barely dry on that contract when COVID hit and everything shut down. Oh, wow. Oh, man. And, you know, our reaction was, well, now what do we want to do? Because we had, you know, we had a lot of ideas around things that this needs to get updated, that needs to get updated, this is new. And all of a sudden it was like, well, everything's going to change. We know it's going to change. We just don't know what that change is going to be. And, you know, we don't have a crystal ball to, to look into the future. So we, again, could, could only look and, you know, look into our own levels of experience and say, what's likely to happen as we watch this thing evolving over the months? And that was probably the biggest challenge that we had was, you know, hoping that, that we got some things right and, and were able to position them well in the book to say, keep these things in mind because stuff is going to change going forward. And just if I could add, we, we really did not want it to be a uh, COVID-centric book. Uh, we wanted this book to, of course, last forever. Uh, and so that was like, as, as uh, Cornelia mentioned, we needed the crystal ball to say, this is going to change, but this is going to go back to the way it was. We had no idea on some of this. So uh, it was that was a challenge. Wow. Thank God you both persevered and made it happen. It is just an awesome read, that's for sure. Now, one of the byproducts, I believe, of the pandemic seems to have been this, quote unquote, great resignation. Curious what you might have to say about you know, this phenomenon we're calling the great resignation. How much time do you have, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a... a really interesting topic and you're right it's it's so tied to the pandemic but a lot of it was building up before but i think people had a chance to spend time in a different way and perhaps have looked at what's important to them uh, and so yes the great resignation is happening but we are focusing our attention for organizations on what we're calling the great retention how can you keep your good employees? What can you do as an employer that will make a difference? And we know you can't keep people forever. That's just not the way it is in our lifetime, but you can keep them maybe a little bit longer if you treat them in a, in a, a very different way from of what 
how organizations were treating people before, treating them as if they were almost the Kleenex example of, well, there's always going to be somebody available if I get rid of this employee or if this employee quits. Now I think people are having to think a little bit about uh, how can I manage my organization and retain these great people who are doing the work that I need them to do. Wow. And that's such an interesting concept, the great retention. Uh, so many people I know have changed, completely changed um, the courses of their career due to everything that's been going on. Um, and I think that's just one effect, right, of, of what we've been seeing with the pandemic. Could you talk to us a little bit more about maybe some of the positive and negatives that have come from all this? You know, I, I think and particularly for the HR professional that, you know, the the negatives have been, this thing happened so fast as, as we were talking about, you know, we experienced that as writers, but suddenly it was people got, you know, you got to go home, you can't be in the office, you know, or if, if you're in an, an industry where people had to be at their place of work, what do we do? How, how do we keep people as safe as possible? So all of these issues just sort of like hit before anybody had enough time to think about it. How do we set people up at work? How do, how do we manage the technology. Um, so that really puts some stresses on HR and I think a lot of the leadership and organizations. But then the positive of it was as everybody kind of got settled in, as people were ordering you know, new equipment that they needed for their home office and, and trying to, to set something up even in, in a makeshift manner, we were managing to get work done. And you know, and so many of the studies have been finding that even with people working remotely, it may not always be the ideal circumstances, but people are still being productive. And you know, I, I'd even talked to some, some folks that I knew, I mean, some of them that were just personal friends and, and they were saying how, I was always pessimistic. I never really thought people could work, be effective working at home. And I was really surprised to see how much of the work got done and got done well. So, you know, I think out of this, people realize we can change, we can look at better ways of doing things and better ways of treating our employees to meet all of their needs. Wow. It's just so remarkable to see the difference, right? Uh, it's kind of like a, a really big before and after moment when you take a look at companies, um, including, you know, the one I used to work for, uh, who we kind of never dreamed that remote work would be possible. And then all of a sudden we were kind of thrown into this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you are so right, I think, Cornelia, um, when you mentioned that there's a lot of managers who are pleasantly surprised actually with how their teams are able to adapt and um, able to continue on with, with what they need to do, even, even working remotely. So how interesting. Um, now, what advice would uh, you both give to HR and to business leaders about, you know, managing people while they're working remote or even if they're working hybrid some days in the office, some days at home? The thing that I think that needs to change or that they need to focus on, of course, is, is their communication style with their employees. Uh, it was easy to see people every day in the office and have a casual conversation and build off of that, perhaps. And now you're not seeing them, uh, or maybe you're seeing them only on a screen, but you still can communicate. You still can listen. You still, one of the, the things we've heard over and over from successful organizations who 
when CEOs take the time to make a personal phone call and ask employees how they're doing uh, and just treating them, and I've said this a thousand times in the last few months, treating employees as human beings, not as employees. And that sentence alone can make the biggest difference in how people are, are feeling, how they're, they're feeling valued, they're feeling as if someone really cares if I'm doing some work. And then they've got the other uh, challenges of how they manage the rest of their life, which I mean, everybody's finding to be very, very difficult. Maybe you have less time commuting, but you may have uh, other challenges that you didn't have before. So I think uh, organizations that just listen to their employees who treat them like human beings, and of course, we would not be able to do anything if we didn't have technology. Uh, I think that's been, how many times have all of us said, uh, if we 30 years ago had had COVID, uh, we would not have been able to manage our businesses because now we have amazing collaboration tools and all kinds of ways for us to keep in touch with each other. Uh, and without that, uh, we would not be working well today. So I, I think treating people like human beings makes the biggest difference of all. And that sounds so simplistic and uh, maybe a little Pollyanna-ish, but honestly, I do believe. And when we're talking about, uh, thank God for Mondays, I think this is sort of what you're going for, Greg, is to kind of bring people in, into a place where they really think about the humanness of, of who we are and what we do. So I think that's, that is the difference right now. Thank you so much, uh, both of you, uh, the three of you for this great sharing today. And it's very interesting because one of the things I've learned as a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn, it's not about bringing the mind or the mouth so much to worry, it's about bringing the heart. And oh, you feel absolutely. that you can bring your heart to work. And I love what you said, it sounds so simple. But picking up the phone and talking to a subordinate or talking to a colleague, this means all the difference. Because I know when we first started going remote here at the college, even, uh, I had to force myself. So I remember, hey, you know, Greg, pick up the phone, call people, because you Zoom, what's one thing, or you're emailing all day. Right. But you still needed that dialogue to hear the other person's voice. How's things going? Uh, how can I be of more service to you? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it really makes this human side. Uh, makes Absolutely, the yes. And speaking of the human side, I think that's a great dovetail into our next topic, diversity, equity, inclusion. I know here at St. Francis College, meaningful, really, really important to us. And it seems all over the country, thank God, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion has really become a hot topic. We'd be very curious, what changes have you seen over the years and is there any advice you could offer to leaders today for the current as well as the long-term in this great area? Absolutely. You know, I started doing work around diversity probably uh, more years th than I want to admit. 
And, you know, e even back then, back in the 90s, you know, when, when we would talk about diversity, we kept trying to bring, bring people into realizing we're not just talking about some of the traditional things you talk about with EEO. It's not just about race and gender issues. It's really about looking at the whole person and looking at everything that somebody brings with them in, in, into the workplace because they've, they've got a background. And you know, as I was mentioning earlier about Vice President Harris, she really does have a very diverse background when, when you really dive below the surface a little bit more. But you know that can be said for any of us, really. And so I think we're, we're starting to see some of that happening more and more. The, the one thing that still kind of nags at me and, and I keep harping on, I hear so many people talking about diversity and they either put it in terms of what does our representation look like? Do we have a pipeline? Like, you know, can I go out and look at, at the workforce? And, you know, I did a lot of work in affirmative action and I'm going, yeah, that's a piece of it, but it's only a small piece of it. Um, it's also not just about getting the workforce together periodically and doing diversity training. That's not really going to enlighten people about, about what's going on. So you really have to look at diversity as, as a holistic approach and, as you bring it into your organization, because it's also about the role that you play in the community and how you support perhaps some of the disadvantaged segments of your community. It, it's about recognizing that when, when you're inviting somebody into a meeting who may be somebody who looks a little bit different than everybody else who's sitting in the meeting, you know, you're not expecting that one person to talk as a representative for everybody who, 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 who they're part of a group for, you know, they, that that's always been su such a problem, you know, well, we'll bring in the person of color and let them tag along and think that either A, we're showing how representative we are or that what their opinion is, is about, um, is gonna be representative of their entire community. And it's not because it gets back down to who are we the individual? And, and what I think is gonna change and, and I think what's gonna drive the change is the employees themselves. You know, a lot of a lot of the newer employees in the workplace, the, the Gen Xers, <clears throat> not even the Gen Xers, the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs who are coming in, they want to come into a workplace and they, they want to be there themselves. They want to be their authentic selves. And, and that's where you start to get into that whole area of inclusion. You know, equity is about treating everybody okay. And that's often what you find in your policies. But can somebody really come into your workplace and feel like, this is a place that they can be heard and, and that people are gonna take them seriously. And, and they're gonna sit there and say, hey, if that's not happening, I'm gonna leave. So it, it'll start to be a really, really big retention issue as we move forward. <clears throat> and they're also looking at what's going on in the world and saying, you know, social justice is an important thing. And I wanna be with an organization that takes it seriously. Right. There are so many aspects that people don't realize fit into HR um, that I think, you know, just hearing our conversation today, or if they do decide to um, pick up a copy of your book, like would learn so much more uh, about just how many aspects of our lives tie into this. After all, we how much time do we spend at work? <laughs> yes. A lot. Right. I think it makes sense. Now, you have a chapter uh, in the big book of HR devoted specifically to workplace harassment. 
Are there any particular topics that we should focus on as we read or as we hear about this chapter? I would love it if everybody got to the end of the chapter and read that section on beyond compliance, because that's really where the rubber hits the road. You know, I mean, it's also one of those issues that we've talked about and we beat it to death. And then every year we're going to roll out the harassment training and think that that's going to change people's behavior. Mm -hmm. It's not. Um, one of the things we talk about, and it was something that, that I came across in my research, is this notion of bystander intervention training, where you begin to give the employees the tools where they feel comfortable stepping up and saying something, or they feel comfortable supporting someone. So, I mean, it, it would be a situation like uh, Barbara and I work together. I happen to be walking down the hall and I observe something, and I'm not sure what I've seen. Uh, so I either feel comfortable going up and perhaps confronting the, the other person who I think might've been harassing Barbara or go up to Barbara later on and say, were you okay with what happened? Um, and if she's kind of like, gee, no, I'm not sure. Well, you wanna go to HR, you wanna go report it, I'll go along with you. So it's some of these tools that you give to people. So they're taking responsibility and saying, you know, it's not just about how I act in the workplace mm -hmm. or how somebody acts towards me. It's what can I do to support my coworkers? Wow. I, think that, I think that's a really powerful way to approach it going forward. Thank you so much. I think that's a really um, practical example. I, I know if, you know, if most people are like me, I kind of love to avoid conflict when I can, right? So sometimes I feel um, it's easy to fall into the mindset of, you know, uh, I watch what I say. And as long as I'm doing the right thing, I could kind of be blind to uh, everything that's going on around me. But thank you for that reminder, Cornelia, that, um, you know, it is still our responsibility to not just be a bystander and um, at least to speak to the person who um, might feel uncomfortable to find out whether or not they were bothered by a comment or or something that you witnessed yeah and i think what happens a lot is we just expect people are going to stand up to, to to bad behavior well not everybody's comfortable with that you know we're, we're all again it gets back to our diversity we're all a little bit different and some people have no problem with it saying hey knock it off i don't appreciate that mm -hmm. somebody else is just going to sit back and say gee, I don't know. I don't know if I can say something, you know, and even if it's peer to peer, it's like, I, you know, I, I don't want to make waves. So I think giving people that really empowering people to say, it's, you know, it's okay to say something and you're not going to be retaliated against. Mm -hmm. Very, very helpful. Um, and I and, think and, also, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say it just all feeds into the, this issue of, of why people are leaving organizations. People yeah. don't want to work now. They've become in many cases, much more aware of, of what all of this is, of feeling like I belong in this organization or, or I'm treated well or I'm valued. My other favorite word of the year is people want to feel as if they're valued at work, uh, that their work really matters. And you can't have that if, if people are feeling uncomfortable or if they are uh, noticing that other people are not being treated well. They're going to walk and i think we're seeing <laughs> seeing that and in many respects it's a good thing 
Right. It's so important that we uh, are here to support each other. And thank you both so much for speaking on that um, important topic. Uh, Are there any other emerging trends or challenges that are uh, included in your book that you'd like to talk about with us? One of the ones that I'd just like to comment on a, a little bit is in the area of employee development, because we're hearing so much about in the great resignation, here it pops up again, uh, people want to be developed. They want their skills to be developed. They want, they want to know that their company is investing in them, whatever, whatever their role is. And so employee development is hugely important. Uh, and there are some great ways that I don't think people think much about. Uh, they, they see it only as, well, we'll have a seminar on sexual harassment and then we're all gonna be uh, fine and we're all gonna do the right thing. Uh, what we're looking at is there's so much that's being done for, used to be called like just in time training when you would see something and then you would put it out there. And now it's happening really quickly. Uh, organizations are doing maybe even a five minute, uh, pull everybody together and talk about a topic that is hot and doing it really, really quickly and doing it in just in the right time and people can focus on it. We all know that people's attention span, and what, what's it now, seven seconds? Is that what I thought was the last I think I heard? Uh, <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so get them while it's a hot topic, give them some, some, some substance to it, have them practice one thing and, and do, and then there's this other thing that we love to talk about called gamification. Uh, organizations are using games to really engage, especially younger employees, uh, the Generation Z folks that really are uh, coming up and, and taking, taking over again. We thought the millennial, and Gina, you're probably in that generation, so I can't say anything about, about your generation, so I won't. Uh, but, uh, getting people uh, to, to have some fun while they're actually learning something. And boy, this is really catching on. And I think we're gonna see a great deal more of that. And it's being used in lots of organizations and used very successful, successfully. So we talk about things like that, that we think will make a difference. There's no doubt about this book has so many great topics and covers so many great areas that is gonna benefit all of us tremendously, whether we're HR experts like Gina, people just starting out and all those in between. Time is getting short, unfortunately. We have a couple of important questions still to ask you. Uh, Speaking of starting out, we've saved the most important question for last. And where can our loyal listeners purchase this great book, the big book of HR, the 10th anniversary edition? How can we best follow you? Okay, well, as, as with all books, you can go to Amazon and find us there. Um, you can also go to our website, www.bigbookofhr.com. There'll be a link there. If you prefer to work with a, some independent book booksellers, you can, you can purchase them directly through them. Um, you can find more information about our other books and read our weekly blog, which is on our website as well. And we've got links to all of our, our social connections. So if you want to stay in touch with us, please follow us on LinkedIn and, and reach out to us. We'd, we'd love to keep the conversations going. Listeners, no excuse. Pick up this great book, The Big Book of HR, the 10th anniversary edition. Pick up one for yourself. 
pick up one for the people in your HR group, the HR department, spread the good, share the good as we like to say here in the Franciscan world. And after you've checked out Cornelia and Barbara, please don't forget about our social media here, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and now even on TikTok. So you can follow us as well. We love questions, comments, suggestions. And you may know, I've mentioned this a couple of times in some previous shows, we've started a Hall of Fame here in regards to our 15th anniversary here at Thank God for Monday. And our selection committee gave me an envelope before the show. I haven't opened it yet, but I'm going to open it now because it looks like they have elected some people here to the Hall of Fame. I'm very happy to announce that in the uh, guest section, the Hall of Fame committee has elected Cornelia Gamblin and Barbara Mitchell. Oh, thank you so much. Honored. Oh, oh great honor. Host nice. area, they have elected Gina Piroa. Oh my gosh, that's so, so sweet. Congratulations. <laughs> You'll be hearing much more from us about this. I know you've got a lot of initials after your names. You've got three more H-O-F. So congratulations. <laughs> thank you for all your great service, all three of you, to thank God for Monday these last 15 years. And we look forward to a lot of continued collaboration. You know, moving thank forward, you. sir. So, thank you. Thank you. Listeners, sadly, once again, we're out of time. Gina and Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Cornelia and Barbara do, you'll say, Thank God for Monday.